Welcome to Practical Christian Living. There's power in this because it's the Word of God. And when you quietly and gently do what God's called you to do, then there's power to it. And He may be one. This is evangelism. Evangelism is not only what you say, evangelism is what you do as well. St. Francis of Assisi is credited with saying, Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Our lives lived out quietly and focused on following Jesus can be the strongest form of evangelism someone ever encounters. We learn more from Peter's words to not just wives, but to all believers. In 1 Peter chapter 3, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you. We really love you. We're blessed to be here. We want to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ that are here. I thank you for those that you've brought into this church, that, that you have called us to reach this community. We pray that we would do so incredibly effectively. We pray that you would do a work in our hearts and in our lives as we surrender ourselves to you. And that we would understand exactly what this passage is saying. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Oftentimes, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, are verses that are spoken of as marriage verses. But they're really not. We certainly learn marriage principles from these verses, but that's not the reason for these verses. These verses are here, and we can go all the way back to verse 11 to connect to it, where it says, Beloved, 11 of verse of chapter 2, by the way, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. He enters into this section of conduct, Christian conduct. And the first thing that he says is to abstain from fleshly lust because they battle against you. We talked about it last week. That if we sow to the flesh, from the flesh we will reap corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit we will reap life. Do you believe God's Word? Do you believe that if God says, if you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap life? But if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. And these things war against the soul. And then he says in verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. That's the goal, that we are living our lives in front of those who do not know Christ, it goes on in verse 12, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. That is, that you live your life in such a way, without fleshly lust that war against your soul, having good conduct in front of the Gentiles, that on the day of visitations they glorify God, they would come to Christ. In other words, the way we live is as important as what we say. The way we live is as important as what church we go to. The way we live is as important as the message of the gospel that we give them. In fact, later on in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says to wives who are married to unbelieving husbands that you might win them without a word. So this passage on conduct within marriage is not a passage on marriage to enhance marriage. It's a passage on how your marriage can glorify God and how those that are out in the world can see Christ. And it's a passage about those of you that are married to non-believers and how you might win them to the Lord. So it's really a passage on witnessing. That's really what it is. It's a passage on 
conduct. But he brings biblical principles into play. And it starts off in verse 1, where he says, wives, likewise. The likewise there connects us to what he's been talking about since he introduced this topic in verses 11 and 12. He had said that let our conduct be honorable among the Gentiles. First of all, submitting to authorities. For you and me, it would mean federal, state, and local municipal authorities. That as we are submissive to the authorities that are around us, people see that in our lives and it gives us a platform to share with them. Then he also says, slaves or servants, be submissive to your master. Now, one out of every four individuals in the Roman Empire was a slave. So it doesn't surprise us that he wrote to slaves. And he didn't say slaves rebel because it's wrong. He said, your greater goal here is to win people to Christ. And so be submissive to your masters, even when you're mistreated. Take the mistreatment well, that you might win them to the Lord. And so when he says likewise, he's saying likewise, as you have yourself submitting to authorities and you have yourself submitting to, for you and I, we would say employers, by the way, not servants. Some of you guys might feel like you're slaves to your employer. Some of you guys might feel like you're taken advantage of by your employer because he can right now because people need jobs. And so they have a tendency to mistreat. And if you're living and doing the very best you can, even if your employer isn't treating you properly, you can win them to the Lord. It's a reason to do the very best job you could do. Christians ought to be the absolute best workers that there are out there. So when he says wives likewise, it's the same idea. Wives likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. And there's the words that we don't like to hear. Be submissive. Somehow we think of a dog when we hear the word submissive. Now, the Greek word for submissive here is the word under rank. It's a military term. It simply means that there's a rank, there's an order. When we talk about these passages, there are those who say, well, these are cultural. Marriages in the Roman Empire were a lot different than marriages are today and in the United States. And in the Roman Empire and in the, the Jewish communities, women submitting to their husbands was something that was, was done and expected. And in America today or in England today or in Australia today, it's not expected. But there's a problem with that. By the way, I believe that to some degree. That'll get some people mad at me too. I might as well make both sides angry too with me. The Bible certainly does at times talk about cultural issues. And marriage is one of those things that is cultural. It has changed a lot in that time. The Bible says that women are not to wear their hair braided, not because God had anything against braided hair. And if you have braided hair today, you might, one lady in the last service was like, when I said it, because women in their day who were prostitutes braided their hair. And so that he said, don't wear your hair braided. He was saying, don't dress like a prostitute. That's what he was saying. Had nothing to do with braided hair. So some women today go, well, I won't braid my hair because 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians tells me not to braid my hair. It's not about braiding your hair. Don't dress like a prostitute. That's really what it's saying because it was happening. They were finding freedom in Christ. They were going out and decking themselves out. And in the Roman Empire, whether you're talking about the extended Roman Empire in Asia Minor or whether you're talking in Rome, they knew how to deck themselves out. Remember in the Hunger Games, uh, the movie, the gals wore their hair in all of these different colors. Do you know that literally was taken from what happened in Rome? Gals in Rome would paint their hair purple and green and yellow. They would wear wigs that were these unbelievable wigs, especially blonde hair wigs. And they've got 
all kinds of different proof of to what women would do to adorn themselves in those days. It's also interesting that when you study marriage in the Roman Empire, for hundreds of years, women were nothing more than a servant. Women were taken into the Roman Empire as basically when you took a wife, you could do whatever you saw fit with her. However, during the time of the gospel, there was a time of freedom that came. And all of a sudden, it was accepted. It was all of a sudden, it was okay for women to find a bit of freedom and a bit of liberty. And it doesn't surprise me because the Bible says that in the fullness of time, Christ came. It was just at the right time. Had Jesus come 100 years before that, women wouldn't have been able to meet Christ in the Roman Empire apart from their husbands. They were kept at home. They were kept under heavy guard, as it were. But just about the time Jesus came along and the gospel began to spread, there was a certain liberation that women found in the Roman Empire, in Asia Minor and in Europe as well. And women began to come to Christ in large numbers. And so now Paul really is addressing these women who find themselves saved in the midst of that. Now, let's talk a little bit about submission because we need to. I had said that this passage really is not a passage on marriage, although we learn marriage principles from it. Ephesians chapter five, near the end of the chapter is. And it starts that section off on marriage by saying, submit therefore to one another so that we submit to each other. When would a husband submit to his wife? Even in a, in a society that's dominated by men, when would a husband submit to his wife? When should you as a husband submit to your wife? I suggest, first of all, when she's right. That's a good time to submit to her. When a manager doesn't listen to his employees, when his employees are right, then he's a poor manager. When a husband won't listen to his wife when she's right, when a husband has to stop his feet and say, I'm the man, mm, are you really? That's my question. If you have to demand, I'm the man and you need to obey me, are you really? So it says, submit therefore to one another and then women submit to your husbands for the husband is the head over the family as Christ is the head over the church. Again, the submission is in rank, military rank. And it's not that doesn't, different ranks don't mean anything with equality. We know everybody's the same. They're, to God, there's no male, there's no female. But in the home, God brought the family together and God brought the man as the head of the family. That causes problems in our culture. We don't like to hear it but that's what the scriptures say. And so the wife is to be submissive to her own husbands. But then it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and died for her. And I'll submit to you that if you as a husband will love your wife as Christ loved the church, think about how Jesus works in our lives. Jesus doesn't tell us, you do what I say. He doesn't stop his feet. I'm the man you're supposed to submit to me. Jesus doesn't do that. He gives us the right and the freedom to be able to do it. And when we put ourselves in submission, then there's a blessing that comes along with that. Christ dies for us, and so we trust him. We don't have any problem submitting to Christ as part of his bride, as part of his church, because we trust him. And if your husband is dying for you, if he's putting you first, then you don't have any problem submitting to him because he's not going to be doing things that are harmful to you. He's going to be doing things that are positive. So when he says, wives, likewise, submit to your own husbands, when it comes to Christian husbands, we can say, hopefully that would be easier. Now, the submission stops 
when you are asked to do something that is wrong or immoral. Paul said in Acts chapter 4, when he was told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, he said, we can't help but preach the things that we have been told. And is it right for us to obey God or man? Is it right for you to obey God or man? If the government tells us to do something that is immoral, is it right for me to obey God and man? I'm not to submit then at that point to them, I'm to submit to God. If my employer tells me to do something that is not moral or right, then I'm to submit to God rather than that. The same thing is true with a wife, okay? Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, even if some do not obey the word. This is the key, those who don't obey the word. Now, that might be harder to submit to them. We're not talking about guys that are interested in doing what Christ wants them to do. We're not talking about guys that would even go to a marriage seminar in a church to find out what marriage seminars are about. We're talking about guys that don't know the Lord. Now, we assume there's some kind of a love here in this relationship, but it says that even if they don't obey the word, that without a word, they may be won by the conduct of their wives. It's not saying that they can be saved without the word of God because salvation comes by the word of God, but it's saying without a word, you can win them. When you live your lives in front of people in the way that you're supposed to, your conduct can actually win people to Christ. In a home where there is a husband, we could point out what he doesn't tell her to do. He doesn't tell her to tape scriptures on the bottom of his beer glass so when he drinks it up, he reads whatever, you know, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> doesn't say to, you know, nag him with the gospel. It doesn't say to, it says, with quietness, win them to the Lord. And listen, there's power in this because it's the Word of God. And when you quietly and gently do what God's called you to do, then there's power to it. And he may be one. This is evangelism. Evangelism is not only what you say. Evangelism is what you do as well. Now, this isn't the only passage that deals with a Christian who may be married to a non-Christian. Some of you guys here today are married to non-Christians. They may be upset that you started to go to church. Maybe you came to Christ after you were married and then you became a Christian. First Corinthians chapter seven deals with that as well. It says that if a non-believer is married to a believer, if a believer is married to a non-believer and the non-believer wants to stay, then let them stay, then stay with them. But if the non-believer wants to go, then let them go because we are called to peace and the believer is not under bondage in that point. Now, this is an important point for us. Because every once in a while you run into a Christian who will say there is never a reason for divorce. There's actually several of them in the Bible. Jesus said that a man is not to divorce his wife. He just said it's not to happen. We learned very on, me and my wife had read a book by Dr. James Dobson on marriage. One of the things that he said there is that you never say the D word. You never say I'm going to divorce you. When Lisa had learned that the Jews would divorce their wives by simply saying three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. She would joke with me when she would get upset at me. I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. I'd say, that's not even funny <laughs> to say that to me. It was kind of funny, but that you don't even say that. However, Jesus said, don't divorce, but if a man marries a woman who is divorced, he commits adultery, except if it's for sexual immorality. So someone that had had a relationship before that had been broken by an affair is now legally able to remarry someone. In other words, if someone is, has committed adultery, they have broken the marriage vow and they've broken the marriage. Jesus said, 
Because of the hardness of your heart, God allowed you to divorce. And so some have taken that to say that when, when there's an offended and an offender, when someone has an affair on the offended party, that the offended party gets a hard heart and then wants a divorce because they just can't forgive them for what they've done and that that's wrong. They should have kept their heart soft. I disagree. I think it was the person that offended that had the hard heart. And sometimes there are guys that make women stay. Men are mostly serial adulterers. I know women can be as well, but that make them stay with a serial adulterer because telling them Jesus said you can't, you, you can't divorce them. You can for sexual immorality. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Lord also said, Paul said, the Lord told you not to divorce, quoting what Jesus said earlier. But then he said, if you do separate, then remain single or reconcile. So there are reasons to separate. Paul understood that. He understood that there was a reason for someone to get out of someone's home. Now, I'll give you a few suggestions of what they can be. Number one, physical abuse. If you are being abused physically by your husband or by your wife, then you can leave. And no one can tell you that you can't because it says, if you do separate, then remain single or be reconciled. So if you're in the situation where you're being abused, a few years ago, there was a, a gal that went to our church and her husband went to another church and her husband was physically abusing her. And I told her, leave him. I said, leave him. And I told her, I'm not telling you to leave him and marry another person. I'm telling you that if you leave him, you're making a decision to remain single or be reconciled if he ever shows you that he will not physically abuse you again. Well, the other pastor called me up and he said, how dare you break a marriage up? I said, I'm sorry, sir, but I'm not the one breaking this marriage up. The guy who is beating his wife is. The guy you're calling to defend to try to keep the marriage together. If you want this marriage back together again, then you should talk to him about doing everything he can to regain trust from his wife again. Because the Bible says that we're to live with our wives with understanding, honoring her as the weaker vessel. Doesn't mean that she's weaker or less valuable. It actually means more valuable. It's a valuable vase. You're like a big ox. She's like a vase that's valuable. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this or not. I hope you have. Maybe one person in here hasn't, but men and women are different, <laughs> right? And for people to say we are not different is to be in complete and total denial. We are. And men are generally, generally stronger than women. I understand there's an exception. Helga, <laughs> you stay in bed, honey. I'll go see the, I'll go get the burglar. You know, there's, there's the exception. But for the most part, it's the men who are supposed to protect the women that have been given that role of being there to protect them. And when the one who is supposed to protect them violates that by beating their wives or physically abusing them or running them down even emotionally. And yeah, I am saying, gals, that you can say, look, you're abusing me emotionally and verbally, and I'm not going to live here anymore until you stop. You can say that. You don't have to stay in that situation. I even told that pastor, why don't we put you in a room with somebody bigger than you and let them beat you up and see how long you'll stay in that situation. To tell women that they have to stay in a situation where they are being beaten, that they can't leave because Jesus said not to get a divorce. I, th I think another reason could be addiction. Addictive behavior that puts the children at risk. Again, I'm not saying leave and divorce. I'm saying leave and remain unmarried. 
It's when your marriage is so bad that you say, I would rather be single the rest of my life than to continue to live in this particular situation. Now, this could be abused, right? There could be somebody who could say, well, then I've got a right to leave my husband right now when you really don't have that right to leave him. So it could be abused, but these things were put there for those reasons. Now, here he says, if you're married to someone, be quiet. Well, we'll get to that in a moment. He says that you might win them with your conduct. And then he says in verse two, when they observe your chaste conduct, the word chaste means pure. We could say that it means modest or faithful, that they may observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, the fear of God. Don't let your adornment be merely, notice the merely, outward arranging of hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. And in the original, in the Greek, the word fine isn't there. Some say, well, this is God saying that you can't wear, that you can't arrange your hair or wear gold. But if that was the case, you couldn't put on garments either. He's not saying that. He's not saying that you can't look good. I'll quote Dr. J. Vernon McGee. This is his quote, not my quote, by the way. And he's passed away, so you really can't get to him. He said, if the barn needs painting, then paint it. It's not that you can't be pretty or you can't wear jewelry or you can't fix your hair or you can't put on clothes that look good. It's not to let the outward be all that it is because someone can be a knockout on the outside and be mean on the inside. What does it say in Proverbs? Better to live on the corner of a rooftop than in a house with a contentious wife. That is that there can be a beauty that is simply outward beauty and someone can say wow you look good but once they get married and spend some time with them they can go wow they are mean meanness is not good it's interesting as we talk about this that the bible tells husbands to love their wives and it uses the word agape husbands agape your wives which is is love that is just a commitment 100 commitment love it's a choice. I agape you. I will choose to love my wife. That's what he's saying when he says, husbands, love your wives. But it never says women love your husbands, agape. Now, I'm not saying you're not supposed to, ladies, because there's other places where the Bible says to love everyone. So that falls under that, right? But it's just interesting to me that God says, husbands, love your wives. But to women, he says, women, be kind to your husbands. It tells women to love your husbands, but it uses the word phileo. It says, be nice to them. Now, why would God do that? I'm just wondering. I'm not saying anything, ladies. I'm just saying that God says, ladies, be nice to your husbands. Then there's another place where it says, and respect them. Now, it's been pointed out by a couple different books that men really need respect. Now, I, I think everybody needs love. Men need love. Women need love as well. So to say that women need love and men need respect, I don't know if you could put them equally. But I can, I can honestly say that I think that that's correct, that men do need respect. And respecting them to be able to take that role as a leader in the home, a leader in the family, a leader with the finances. <laughs> and I realize some of you ladies right now when I say finances go, well, I really wish I wouldn't have come tonight. Really wish I wouldn't have come. But giving him that opportunity to really step up and to do good with it. And you know what I, I think I find? is that when a gal will step back and say, you know what, I'm going to respect my husband, I'm really going to respect him, that he responds to that, that men respond to that. When a woman doesn't respect her husband, marriages are really tough. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.